1: Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, very excited for today's program because we are inching our way into September, which means that fall is around the corner. Now, if you joined us last week, you might remember that we were talking about fall planting, particularly vegetables. And it is a good time now still to continue going to uh, purchase those Uh, What all we got? Uh, Broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kale, collards, turnip greens even. It's a good time to go and continue purchasing those and planting them in the ground, getting them a head start, getting a a nice established root system so that when uh, the cooler weather comes, they really are something uh, spectacular and strong. So I'd like for us today to continue talking about fall planting, but instead of talking so much about plants that feed our bodies, I want to talk about planting fall plants that feed our soul, beautiful ornamental plants. We're going to talk about perennials. Fall flowering perennials is today's topic of discussion, and we've got a lot to talk about. And of course, not enough time to talk about it. (laughs) So we will try to get in as many of these plants as possible. Now, you know that this time of year, we're getting closer to October, and that's really the time when we're looking Uh, late September, early October, we're looking for fall plants. We're particularly looking for pansies and violas. Hopefully you plant snapdragons because snapdragons are really something else. They are wonderful plants that can bloom a bit for you in the uh, er, late part of fall, early part of winter, but they will really bloom again in late winter, and they will be probably even more spectacular, assuming that those plants are nice and, and healthy and strong. So, of course, we've got all of these things. We've got all of these things we're going to be looking for. Cabbages, ornamental cabbages, the pansies, the violas, like I said. Um, The only trouble is, these are mainly treated as annual plants. So, these are what we call the fall annuals. But on today's program, we're not going to talk about pansies and violas, not this week. We're talking about plants that are going to come back year after year. Of course, those are. Those are those wonderful, wonderful perennial plants. And in particular, the perennials we'll talk about today are going to be ones that almost strictly bloom late in the summer, uh, pushing into fall. So, most of these are strictly bloomers or uh, providing some kind of show in the fall. However, I'm going to talk about a few that bloom uh, maybe in the spring, but then again in the fall. And it's not all about the uh, flowers, because some of the plants we're going to talk about today are super ornamental with their foliage. Um, one of the those, see, I'm not going to mention any ornamental grasses, but I'll Pre kind of talk uh, before the discussion now about ornamental grasses. We we did an episode or a show several weeks ago uh, here on New Southern Garden about just ornamental grasses. So be sure to check those out online at NewSouthernGarden.com if you missed out. But I should mention ornamental grasses briefly and say that ornamental grasses are wonderful for the uh, fall garden. For the fall perennial garden, of course, many ornamental grasses are returning. They're coming back year after year. Uh, They're blooming, some of them, uh, in late summer, maybe early fall, like our wonderful pink muley grass, great native grass. Uh, But many of these ornamental grasses, particularly the ones we talked about a few weeks ago, they have great fall color. So the foliage may be something beautiful green, something beautiful blue-green all summer, but then as we get into fall, they start breaking down those sugars just like maple trees, uh, and the foliage changes those fiery reds, purples, yellows, oranges. There's several different varieties of ornamental grasses that are going to give you several different colors of fall color. So don't forget about the foliage. Of course, it's a great texture to use, to use those uh, ornamental grasses against more broadleaf plants. Well, I think we should just jump into our discussion on these fall flowering perennials because we've got several to go with. The first one we're going to talk about, I can't not talk about this, and I can't not talk about these plants first, because these plants are quintessential uh, with fall. They are definitely well known for blooming in the fall, not necessarily any other time of the year. does not mean that plants, even though they may tend to bloom in one season or another, does not mean that they can't bloom in another season. I am seeing some things that bloom in the spring starting to rebloom now. Or maybe start off their blooming now and hopefully they'll save a few buds for spring. But fall blooming plants, of course, could bloom sporadically, randomly, other times of the year. Maybe in the height of summer. But this group of plants does most of its blooming in the fall, and that is the aster, the asters. Of course, the asters are those very dainty, small, um, uh, maybe you want to call them chrysanthemum-like flowers or daisy-like flowers. They're definitely in the uh, group of flowering plants with that daisy-like blossom, but they do most of their blooming later in the year. Now, there are plenty of asters to go around plenty of varieties plenty of species plenty of cultivars many of these species uh, come from Japan and China Europe but really the most known the best known asters come from right here in the eastern United States and of course here in the southeastern United States we've got plenty of asters to choose from one of the most popular aster is what they call the New England aster. Now, the New England aster does not strictly grow in New England. However, that's probably where it first was found and was given a common name, the New England aster. However, it does grow here in the southeast, as so does the New York aster. The New York aster. These are two very popular, uh, kind of bushy, low-growing varieties of asters um, that really do give you that fall Show Now, there's uh, two other asters that I want to mention. Some of these are harder to find, uh, particularly the climbing aster. The climbing aster is named after Carolina. Uh, it's Aster carolinianus, and so that one does get some southern heritage, even though it can grow all, all up and down the east coast, uh, particularly hardy in zones 6 to 9, so not too far north. But the uh climbing aster is one of these strange asters, of course, it's got a uh beautiful pale pink sorry pale purple flower, but it's it gets very large. <laughs> it can get nine to fifteen feet tall uh However, because we call it a climbing aster, it just has these very long stems, these very long stems that spill over and ramble here, ramble there. Usually you're not going to find this in the modern nursery or um, garden center. Uh, We are, I am, at least at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week tinkering with this, trying to grow it from seed. Not been too successful yet, but it may take a couple of years to really uh, determine if we can get this started. But this aster spills and it would would fall over a gate and fences and and wrap and ramble around fences or uh, climb up sort of trees. It's not a true vine. It's just this strange kind of shrubby aster with very long and... uh, very long stems, so it does need a trellis, it does need maybe a a strong wall or something to grow onto, but those sometimes pink to uh, lavender purple flowers, they open mid-October, and um, they just bloom this autumn time of year, so many of these asters are blooming this time of year, this coming up season. Next, uh, the last aster I want to mention is, is another native, another great native um, that is called the wood woodland or wood aster, the white wood aster, and that one does grow in more shade. So if you have a shady garden, uh, this really needs the partial shade. Uh, this aster will have um, f- flowers about one to two inches, maybe a little smaller. But regardless, it is a native woodland aster. So it's an aster that can grow in the shade. A lot of asters love the sun. They're going to bloom better in the sun. But if you've got a shady situation, uh, you may try out or look for, maybe grow it from seed, uh, this woodland aster, the white wood aster, which again, another great native. One thing we should mention is generally, generally speaking, these asters are not beloved by deer as far as for food. Doesn't mean that they may not nibble or try. Young deer that don't know what's good for them may try. Uh, but usually asters are safe. We tend to just forget to use asters in the garden. In particular, because they bloom so late in the year. You know, it's this time of year where the hostas are starting to turn yellow. You're tired. I'm tired. We've been working in the heat, digging, weeding, mulching, doing all these things all summer. And we forget about the fall season. But we're soon, and you can already feel it in the air, the chillness that's coming in uh, through the 1st of September here. So we've got that chillness in the air that's coming. It's going to be cooling down. And when you've decided to give up all hope on your garden... Uh, When you've decided to plow it under because you're just tired of it, if you have asters, they will change your mind. They'll start to bloom when you're tired, when you're sweaty, and the asters will uplift your spirit, and they will encourage you to keep gardening, to keep gardening, to keep planting, even through the upcoming cold months. So that's asters. That is the quintessential fall-time garden perennial that, of course, is definitely going to be blooming in the fall. The next one that we want to talk about is anemone. Anemone. I think that has something to do with, um, oh, what's that movie? Finding Nemo. Don't they, uh, I think the clownfish live in anemone, anemone, anemones, <laughs> but regardless, anemones are also a plant here that we grow above the ocean uh, on dry land. Now, anemones come in all different forms. There are spring bloomers that you can find uh, tuberous roots You plant them, uh, they'll pop up some foliage, pop up some flowers, usually very low to the ground, very small. But they're early-blooming anemones. We're not going to talk about those because this is our fall gardening show. We're going to talk about the fall-blooming anemones, some of the best, in my uh, opinion. They can get taller than the spring varieties. Uh, They may be getting, with their blossom and flower spike, somewhere between 3 to 4 feet tall. We have some at the uh, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, where you can find me throughout the week. We have some at the nursery that are just coming in. They're just getting ready. Some are starting to form their buds. We may not see some blossoms for a while, um, but a uh, wonderful variety called September Charm. So basically, throughout the spring and summer, these anemones are going to be uh, putting on foliage and it's a beautiful foliage it's sort of reminiscent of uh, a still or something like that but then as soon as we get to the latter part of summer, pushing into fall, they start sending up their flower spikes, and their stems are very wiry, so they're uh, wiry stems that climb in the air, they have little tufts of leaves up and down the stem, uh, but still this very wiry appearance, and when those flower buds start to open, you get this beautiful array of of about six petals, I suppose it is, uh, rounded petals, sort of like a dahlia. So, Well, some varieties of dahlias. Most dahlias, I guess, come to a point. But it does have that buttercup-like uh, flower appearance. And so with the colors, you can have whites. You can have pinks and different shades of pinks. And you can have purples, some lavenders. Uh, so dark pinks to pale pinks. September charm is a pale pink, but with a rich pink inflections here and there. I think uh, we've got to go to this break, but I think when we get back, I'm going to talk a little bit more about these anemones because I think there's something very worthy to use in your fall flowering perennial garden. Hang on tight. We'll be right back with more of these wonderful plants. Now where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our contact us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. Give it a go. Well, gang, of course, that's uh, Eden Rose. Encouraging you Encouraging you To give fall gardening a go Of course Eden Rose is my uh, little girl She's actually going to be turning Three years old First of next week September 12th Her mother And herself My daughter Were born on the same day What a wonderful Of course not the same year (laughs) (laughs) About 30 years apart. Uh, Well, 20-something, 29, I guess. But anyhow, that is is Eden Rose encouraging you to plant fall flowers, fall-blooming perennials. That's what we're talking about today. And, of course, she loves fall-blooming flowers because they're blooming around her birthday. (laughs) Before the break, we were talking about a wonderful fall perennial called anemone. Now, really what we're talking about are the Japanese anemones and the hybrid uh, Japanese anemones. Uh, There's several different types of anemones. Golly, that word is getting harder to say. But there's spring-blooming anemones, which we're not discussing. We are talking about these fall-blooming Japanese hybrid anemones that come in a variety of whites, uh, different shades of pink from dark, rich to pale, and then to maybe even some lavenders. However, I do want to mention some of the conditions that these anemones need. These Japanese and hybrid types may get somewhere, depending on cultivar and variety, three to four feet tall with their flower spike. But all of the height comes from the collection of, of wiry stems with those beautiful anemone flowers on top, so it's not a very dense height it's not like a, a it's not bushy, so don't think that this is this anemone is going to be too tall it's wiry it's it's uh just, just those flowers just hanging up in the air now with that being said though. <laughs> they can become very dense in the sense that they like to spread. They like to move around. Uh, they may reseed, so you may have some babies come up that way. But they also really uh, grow with underground stems and above-ground stems, rhizomes and stolons that move them around and dense them up. Now, if you want to have a big swath of these, it's a wonderful plant to create a big swath because or large patches Because they do like to move. So keep that in mind. Don't put them in areas where you don't want to just let them meander. But regardless, in my opinion, it's just an opinion. But in my opinion, it is worth it having to maintain them a bit to dig out some plants. It is worth it because they bloom so beautifully. And also, they're blooming when not many other perennials are. So... The Japanese or hybrid anemones, I would definitely encourage you to come check out the ones at the nursery, of course, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, where you can find me throughout the week. We've got September Charm anemone, and it is sort of a duo tone. It's got a dark pink and also light, light pink mixed in on the same uh, flower petals. So with that being said, that is anemone. One of my favorites, and I think that if you uh, look into them, they'll be one of your fast favorite friends too. Another one of my favorites that loves to make big patches and spread and run is going to be what what I like to call the garden mums. Okay, I don't mean, uh, when we talk about garden mums, I don't mean the potted mums that you go to the nurseries and the garden centers, which ours are coming in probably this coming week. But regardless, um, I'm not talking about those potted mums that are perfectly dome-shaped, like a little globe. Of course, they all flower at once, and in a few weeks, they look ratty. (laughs) They just don't look like they used to. Those mums are very much perennial, but that is true chrysanthemum, okay? The garden mums I'm talking about fall into, they used to be called chrysanthemum, but they sort of have their own group now called the dendranthemum. The dendranthemum, they have that classic uh, flower, that f- uh, chrysanthemum flower, daisy like flower. However, the dendranthemum is a very late blooming plant. As a matter of fact, they may bloom, who late fall. Golly, it seems like they're still blooming right before or right around. Um, Thanksgiving. So they're super late to the party. But they do have this density of flowers that you just can't get with a lot of plants. If you trim them throughout the growing season, maybe once in the spring and once in the summer, you can create this density. Multiple stems and stems upon stems, which also helps to keep them from flopping. That is a problem with the garden mums. These dendranthemums is a flopping. Um, But regardless, you can get this very dense show of blossoms. They seem to bloom forever. A little bit of frost is not a problem for them. It doesn't seem like. However, our frosts are getting later and later. Um, but I do want to talk about a few of the varieties of these garden mums, dendranthemums that we've got available. Two of my favorites that we grow at the nursery It's called Ryan's Pink and Ryan's Yellow. There's a series, there's a series of these dendranthemums called Ryan's Something, Ryan's Daisy, but I think that probably the two that stand out the best are Ryan's pink and Ryan's yellow. Now, the yellow starts out fairly rich, but generally fades, as many yellows do. The pink does the same. It's a rich pink. But, well, I shouldn't say rich. not like a hot pink. Uh, but it is a nice, soft pink that... Um, it has a vibrancy to it, but then it sort of fades too. But you can take both of these, Ryan's pink and Ryan's yellow, and interplant them to have this beautiful pink and yellow show. It's a wonderful combination. And I do encourage folks to do that because the Ryan's pink and Ryan's yellow, they tend to be about the same height, so they blend very well and we've done that in some planting beds at the nursery they're just starting to set their flower buds they've yet to bloom but I can see the bud is coming so sooner than sooner than later they'll be blooming and they will just continue blooming for a long time I just want to reiterate that uh, these dendranthemums these garden mums they do get kind of tall they can get leggy so it is one plant that for a really good display We want to trim early in the spring, not not too early in the spring, probably by the early part of summer, and then maybe once again uh, from four to six weeks before the first of October, let's say. So we could have trimmed them maybe two weeks ago and still get this density and bushiness about them. That helps them to not have that problem with flopping so much. So, so far today, we've talked about asters, we've talked about anemones, we've talked about these garden mums, and if all of these are, just these three are planted in a bed together, you will have a beautiful fall garden. I know that many times we plan our gardens and our perennial spaces, we plan these spaces to look really good in the spring, maybe more for spring gardens, (laughs) but I think we need to save some space, whether it's intermixed with shrubs, intermixed with spring-blooming perennials, wherever, or if it's a space that is just dedicated to these beautiful fall-flowering plants, I think that we need to give these a, a look, a, a closer look. We've got plenty more to talk about. Um, I just want to reiterate the idea of planting intermixing spring, summer, and fall together, because if you've got a small space, today's program is going to be really important for you to pick out a few of these fall-blooming perennials that you can mix in with your spring bloomers, or uh, mix in with your summer bloomers, or spring, summer, and fall. Mix these into your beds, so you've got Uh, In the spring, maybe phlox is going, uh, and then in the summer, maybe cannas or, golly, cone flowers, the list goes on for summer. Then in the fall, you've got these soft, dainty anemones that on wiry stems, or maybe the garden mums that are big and boisterous, regardless of your space. If you've got a lot of space, if you don't have a lot of space, it's always a good idea to... Encourage the seasonal change and use plants that change with the season. That way, every space in your landscape is interesting every season of the year. When we get back, gang, we've got several more of these fabulous fall flowering perennials. Let's say that three times fast, so hang on tight. We'll be right back with more. Well, gang, welcome to New Southern Garden, or re-welcome to New Southern Garden. Uh, If you're just joining us, you are joining us for the second half of today's program, which is dedicated to everything fall flowering perennials. Remember, perennials are those plants that we plant once and they come back for many years. I'm not going to say they come back forever even though many of the perennials we're talking about today will come back forever. It seems like some of them seem like they'll never die. They just keep growing and I think that's a wonderful characteristic. But we're not talking about pansies and violas and snapdragons and ornamental cabbages which you would expect to plant in the fall because you're going to want to have some uh, annual flowers. Those are just annuals. These perennials are going to be blooming well, maybe until frost and so they serve a purpose whether it's just for a short time or an extended period they do have a wonderful purpose and of course being perennial means you don't have to buy them every year and you don't have to replant them every single year so Before the break we were talking about asters those are just those quintessential daisy like flowers uh, that bloom almost strictly in the fall almost all asters do then of course we talked about anemones which are uh, there's spring flowering anemones and there's fall flowering anemones so we're talking about those fall uh, flowering types but they rise up on these wiry stems and just burst with color in the sky. Just a wonderful effect. Then of course we were talking about the garden mums, which of course these garden mums are related to chrysanthemums but they're not those round balls of chrysanthemums that you buy in a pot uh, in the nurseries strictly in the fall. Those are really chrysanthemums. These garden mums are more called dendranthemum, which Let's not worry about these crazy botanical names. Just know that these are wonderful perennials that are reliable, they've got large flowers, maybe up to three inches in diameter. Classic mum flower, they come in pinks and yellows and whites. And, of course, uh, we mentioned a couple, Ryan's Pink and Ryan's Yellow, which work well together because they're from the same series. And uh, they get three or four feet tall. So that's where we left off. Now I want to talk about another plant, which is a wonderful plant. However, I'm pushing it a bit with this one because this particular plant does start to bloom in the summer, particularly later summer. Um, the ones at the nursery have not really started showing out until recently, uh, but these uh, flowers, this plant will continue to flower until we get into the frosty months, which is a wonderful plant. You want to deadhead it to encourage that aspect of reblooming. We're talking about Russian sage. Russian sage. I love the sages of any kind because uh, they are very, in some cases, fragrant as far as their foliage and sometimes their bloom goes. But really, the foliage is in the sage family. Um, So if you remember culinary sage, very fragrant, very tasty foliage, doesn't mean all of the sages, which some are true sage and some are not sage, but salvia is another name for this kind of plant. and. Their foliage does smell either good or sometimes really bad. And in the case of Russian sage, if you've got it, uh, if you've been trimming it or rubbing the foliage at all, you will notice a very pungent odor. As a matter of fact, uh, when I was studying horticulture at the University of Georgia, um, my professor of perennials, essentially, is Dr. Alan Armitage, and he's written many books on perennials and whatnot, but he would tell us a story about Provoskia, uh, sorry, Russian sage. Provoskia is that botanical name. Uh, But he would say that Russian sage, uh, he says the the foliage was so pungent um, that it was said to smell like the feet of marching Russian soldiers. (laughs) Then he would say, but since the Cold War is over uh, and with political correctness rampant, he would apologize to all the Russian soldiers whose feet he maligned by telling that story. So that is apparently how the name Russian sage came about, uh, that the foliage smells so bad that it smells like the feet of Russian soldiers. That's terrible. It's terrible. But anyhow, (laughs) how it was really named was that, uh, or at least the botanical name, was named after a Russian general, V.A., per, 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 let's see, I can never say it, per, perovsky, <laughs> golly, perovsky is the name of the plant, so Pervosky. and uh, it's very tough, this Russian sage, folks, is very tough, and it's very reliable throughout uh, the United States, now, of course, this is a southern garden program, but uh, in the northern gardens, you'll notice that the flowers are very intense blue, and they stay very blue all the way through summer, however, For us southern gardeners, uh, or Russian sage loves our climate, loves the heat. If it gets dry, no problem for an established Russian sage plant at all. Very drought tolerant. But when they first start blooming, you'll notice they're very intense blue. Uh, Then it begins to fade as the summer temperatures increase. Uh, These plants are very tall, I should mention. They could be up to five feet in height. They do get kind of floppy, but I don't let that stop me. I don't. How do, they, what do I say? Uh, they do get floppy, but I don't let that stop me, because you can give these plants a good haircut in the late spring, say really June. Uh, give them a chop in June that encourages branching and it keeps the height a bit smaller. Uh, but despite despite that issue of floppiness, the silver foliage that it has against that intense blue. Is wonderful. And of course, the fragrance to some degree is an added bonus, Um, maybe for those without sinus problems, but (laughs) regardless, very beautiful ashy gray foliage that will carry over uh, through the most of fall until it gets frosty. And those blossoms will continue to go as long as you keep them deadheaded. So that's Russian sage, named after the stinky feet of Russian soldiers. No, not true. Named after a Russian soldier, uh, Pravosky. Uh, regardless, look into using the Russian sage in your landscape. I think for anything, the textural and contrast. Uh, with the foliage and other plants is a wonderful thing, but that intense blue is hard to find. And I should mention, if you're into pollinators, it's a wonderful source. It's a wonderful source for pollinators later in the year. When you're working with pollinators, if you want to uh, grow butterflies in your garden, right, if you want to create a community of butterflies or uh, hummingbirds or bees, If you want to work with these pollinators, you've got to remember several things. First of all, you've got to feed them. That's the biggest thing. Feeding them, but feeding them uh, as long as their life cycle demands, right? We want to make sure for early pollinators, we have plants that bloom late winter, early spring. Then, of course, we've got spring and summer pollinators coming around. We've got plenty of choices for that, but these plants... This Russian sage, the garden mums, the asters, even the anemone, these are all great plants for pollinators to munch on, to feed off of throughout the fall and maybe, well, late summer, fall, and maybe even the early part of winter. So you want to be feeding the the pollinators that are around. If their life cycle is continuing, you want to make sure you've got some kind of food for them. I should take this moment, too, since we're talking about pollinators, uh, that research the kind of pollinators you want to encourage and find out if they have a specialized host plant. Now, of course, we've talked about host plants in the past, but other than feeding the adults, say the adult butterflies, feeding, uh, allowing them to feed from the nectar of some of these flowers is wonderful. But what about their babies? What about their caterpillars? You should be looking into host plants, which essentially are plants that uh, mama, mama butterfly (laughs) will lay her eggs on. And then the children, the worms, the caterpillars, the larvae, they will start devouring and munching. Of course, with monarchs, they can only, uh, monarch babies can only eat milkweed. So you want to be sure, if you want to grow monarchs, you've got milkweed. The next thing, of course, is like swallowtails. Swallowtails can only eat plants in the carrot family. Uh, there's plenty of plants that fall into that group, fennel being one of them, uh, as well as, oh, um, St. I know, what is her name? Queen Anne's Lace. Queen Anne's Lace, which is a, a, an invasive species, we should really say, but it's become naturalized. That particular plant, Queen Anne's Lace, Uh, is a great food source for the swallowtail. So keep all that in mind. When you're working with pollinators, be sure you can feed the early ones and the late ones and everyone in between and also feed the children. Now... Here is one that's going to feed uh, late pollinators with its blossoms because it's a fall-blooming plant. It's the sedums, or the stone crops. Now, there are many different varieties and types. The creepy-crawly sedums, the ground cover types, there's Angelina, uh, there's uh, Lemon Ball, there's Blue Spruce. These are just a few we carry uh, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But regardless... These creepy crawly stone crops, they they sort of bloom on and off. I notice sometimes they'll bloom the first of summer or so, uh, but you may have a reblooming later in the year. However, it's more of the upright sedums that I want to talk about. The upright sedums. There are several varieties. Of course, there's the very popular autumn joy and uh, its sister autumn fire. Now, both of these are low, bushy-like sedums. When I say upright, I mean they don't creep and crawl on the ground like a ground cover. Uh, They do die to the ground every year, but they will reach maybe 24 inches tall uh, with their blossom. Uh, I never have seen any really above 30 inches. But they are this small, kind of bushy-like plant for most of the year, other than the time when they're dormant in the winter. Now, they've got broad foliage, The foliage comes in a variety of colors, really. <laughs> there's green, that's the basic, but of course it's like there's a bluish green to some of them, and then there's sort of a purpley uh, to others. The stems can also be very colorful on many of these um uh, sedums. There's the oh uh, ruby ruby glow, which has a bit of color to her stem, and there's atro uh which is probably harder to find these days. Kind of an older variety, but it's got a great purple stem on it. Same with strawberries and cream, but they do have these large um, com- uh, flowers. <laughs> the, the individual flowers themselves are very small, but they are just bunched together in these big clop, clops, clops, clumps, big clumps, I guess I should say. And they can come in a variety of colors, uh, sometimes on the pinks and sometimes on the reds. That's where like autumn joy is a wonderful, bright, happy pink. And then its sister autumn fire, just like the name suggests, is more rich red. So these sedums are very structural, Components to your perennial border. They don't bloom super early, they are later blooming. However, their foliage is very structural. They sort of make these perfect domes, if you will. Uh, but regardless, once they flower, you will see all kinds, you will see all kinds of pollinators coming around. Pollinators are one good reason to grow this, but really, It's just a beautiful plant. Now, of course, like all good things, this plant will go underground. Well, not completely. It leaves little tiny tufts of foliage right at the base. So you can mulch around it, remove the spent uh, flowers, remove the uh, tired branches and stems, and in the spring, it will flush back out. It is great, drought-tolerant, being a sedum. It doesn't need a lot of water, and it will survive for many, many years. They can be divided and relocated and multiplied, no problem. When we get back, our last segment of fall, Flowering Perennials. Well, gang, it has been, we've been having a fun time here in New Southern Garden. Uh, We've been talking about fall flowers, particularly fall flowering perennials. Remember, perennials are plants that return year after year. You don't just get one season out of them. In many cases, you can get a lifetime out of them because some of these are long-lived. And many of these spread and creep and crawl. And I know in some places we don't want that attribute. But... In the fall, there's just something about the the mums, these perennial mums, and the anemones, and the sages and whatnot that just really says it. Just really says fall. It says fall. There is another plant. There's a couple more that I want to talk about today, and there's one that is a great native plant, wonderful pollinator plant, probably a host plant for some kind of pollinator. However, it gets confused with. Uh, a weed that causes us, many of us, uh, to sneeze and have allergic reactions. And you'll see this beautiful yellow plant blooming along the roadsides and in the ditches and whatnot. And we call it ragweed by mistake. Ragweed does not have those beautiful yellow flowers. No, it's a shame that goldenrod or solidago, as the botanical people like to say— It's a shame that goldenrod, our native solidagos, native goldenrods, are misnamed with a terrible name such as ragweed. Now, ragweed may very well be growing beside (laughs) the goldenrod, but ragweed has a completely different shaped leaf. Uh, The flowers are inconspicuous. I mean, you can see them if you look up close, but you will not be able to really see ragweed blossoms from the road very well. You will definitely see goldenrod from the road. So don't confuse Goldenrod with ragweed or ragweed with goldenrod. It's doing goldenrod a big disservice because it's a wonderful plant. It does creep. It does crawl. It likes to move around. It can handle tough conditions. Uh, We've got some um, goldenrod called fireworks. And just like the name suggests, this time of year it's starting to pop open. starting to burn with that beautiful golden yellow color just like a nice firework. Uh, on fourth on the fourth of July, and it is being attracted to by many of these bumblebees. I've seen. Plenty of butterflies, honeybees, wonderful pollinator plant. But it, it does not bloom until about right now and uh, through this early part of fall. So it will sit there in the landscape. It will start to grow and push up its beautiful dark foliage. But it won't do much of anything until we get later in the growing season. But the, I guess the thing that just makes me so upset the most is that I hear all kind of people pointing to that plant and saying ragweed. It is not ragweed. Ragweed looks more like a weed. Okay, goldenrod looks like a weed. I'll give you that. It looks like a weed, but it's a (laughs) glorious weed. It's a wonderful, beautiful weed. And like I said, if you've got a slope... If you've got a bank that you don't want to be cutting grass on, that you don't want to be weed whacking uh, grass on, take out the grass and allow goldenrod to fill the bank. As a matter of fact, that one I just mentioned, the goldenrod fireworks, will spill over and it'll hang over the bank. It sort of has these arching branches uh, and stems and you will just have this explosion of yellow right in your face. Wonderful native plant, wonderful late plant for pollinators to munch on and have a good dinner in the uh, late part of summer and into fall. And if you mix it with these uh, garden mums we've talked about, even anemone and asters, that aster purple with goldenrod yellow is classic fall to me. It just says fall time planting. So, Don't forget about goldenrod. Don't confuse it with ragweed. As a matter of fact, after this program's over, go to the Internet and type in ragweed and look at that plant, and you'll see how different it is than goldenrod. All right, the last plant we've got time for today for our fall flowering perennials is going to be heucheras, or coral bells, coral bells, a wonderful name. Huchra is a good name too, uh, but they essentially refer to the same plant. Now, most of these heucheras, really all of them that we have available today, are uh, native plants. They've that we've got several different species that grow wild in our woodlands, and they traditionally are a woodland plant. Many, excuse me, many of them, many of them will um, uh, actually be evergreen, and some of them are deciduous. Now that we've been hybridizing, a lot of the varieties that we get in the nursery are going to be evergreen, and that's one of the main reasons I wanted to talk about this one uh, today, is that they, they... They might bloom in the fall. They're really a spring blooming plant. But since the foliage is so colorful, these coral bells are uh, low, dense, compact, kind of round mounds. Round mounds uh, that, that maybe with foliage only get about 18 inches tall. But those leaves come in different shades of purple, different shades of red, different shades of yellow, different shades of lime, different shades of... Uh, Orange or caramel. And the reality here is that just the Coral Bells alone, if you mix the varieties right, you can have a beautiful display with all of the rich colors there are. Now, more and more varieties are being released and being bred. And probably at some point... We should ask the question, do we need so many of these? Do we need so many purples? Do we need so many corals? Do we need caramels? Do we need so many limes and whatnot? Do we need all these different varieties that some look very much the same? But when you're looking for a coral bell, I would encourage you to do the research or at least look on the plant tag. It should say and mention if that variety is evergreen. I love the evergreen ones because they give you the kind of foliage, And color that we love in the fall, um, right there in the garden uh, with these evergreen types. Then, of course, over winter, if they're evergreen, they don't look like spring. They're not as maybe vibrant looking, but they're there. They're present. That's the beautiful thing about coral bells. Now, when they bloom, they send up these tall, fairly tall, thin spikes with dainty they all like flowers that hang up in the air. Usually, uh, they are in the whites to pinks, uh, different shades in between. You might get a few purple-ish flowers. The flowers are, are nice. They're not show-stopping flowers. When it comes to this heuchera, it's really, about, it's really about the foliage. Like I said, the flowers usually come in on the heucheras in the spring but they can sporadically, and they do so for us at Lanier Nursery and Gardens. Our heucheras, they sporadically bloom all summer long, and there are a few that are blooming very nice right now. So it's not a matter of using heucheras blossom in the fall, but it definitely is using that uh, foliage, using the foliage, that beautiful foliage, which, of course, comes in all shades of reds and yellows, Uh, limey colors, it's just beautiful, caramel colors, one of my favorites, one of my favorites. So today, folks, we've been talking all about fall flowering perennials. Of course, perennials are those plants that come year after year. We talked about asters. We talked about anemones, we talked about garden mums, Russian sage sedums like autumn joy and autumn fire, goldenrod, and the last plant we discussed was the coral bells. If you use a selection of these, mix them together, you're going to find that you have a fabulous fall planting and fall flower show that is going to really usher us into this new season and the cooler season. So until next time, folks, uh, my name is Nathan Wilson for WRWH and New Southern Garden, hoping you stay well and grow well. See you next time. Give it a (laughs) go.